All right, we're going to start on Mem Chedem and Aleph in the second line. Just before we start, at the end of the first Tosafot on Mem Chedem and Aleph, he just mentioned something as an aside, but the aside that he mentions is very interesting halachically. Omer Rabbeinu Shmuel, Rabbeinu Shmuel is the Rashbam, Tumuter lasum tapuchim etzel eish, samuch lecha shecha. One can put apples right by the fire before nightfall. Afal pishle yuchlulit slot mi bel yom. Even though they cannot be fully cooked during the daytime, meaning before Shabbat comes in. Then achalim tvei Moshe and Chayin, mitabshil, she. He says, if I look comparatively, we know that Machal ben Dusai is the threshold for an item that's cooked to remain on the fire. He says that it's more likely that a person would eat an apple raw than he would eat the meat that is cooked. And if Machal ben Dusai is sufficient to leave it on the fire and not have a problem or an issue with Shia or Shemi Yechatebi Gechalim, then that's certainly true for apples that are raw. So from here, it sounds like that with regards to the din of Shia, there is no issue with apples because they are considered to be edible in that state. And therefore, leaving them there, we're not worried about Shem Yechateh But then Tosfot continues and says, If he put in the Hatmana, he put a pod in the Hatmana, but he also put Tapuchim, he put apples in there. And one cannot return the pillows, the mattresses, whatever is covering the Ktera. There not been apples there, it would have been fine. When there are apples there, because if he puts them back there before they're cooked, Turns out that he's cooking on Shabbat. Very, very interesting machloket that comes up with regards to apples. So interesting about apples is, you know, I have in my uh, kitchen a bunch of uh, raw apples. And every day I take an apple and I eat an apple. It's totally edible, fine to eat without cooking it. So then the question arises, if you cook it on Shabbat, what is the status of such an apple when you cook it on Shabbat? Is that considered to be mevashel v'shabbat, that you're cooking? Because you're changing the status of the apple. Is the apple improved? Is it better? It's a good question. But maybe because it's edible already, as it's raw, maybe that's not classified as cooking on Shabbat. Turns out to be a machloket. The Rambam, when he codifies the aloha with regards to Bishul and Paraktet, aloha gimel, he says that something that is mevushel kol sarkol, something that is cooked totally, completely, it does not have a din of Bishul, Afterwards, commenting on that, the Merkevita Mishnah, also the Red Baz, both of them indicate that something that is nechal keshuchai, it's eaten when it's raw, ain't bo mishum bishul, does not have a din of bishul. It's a term that's borrowed from the Gemara of Odezara, a term that's borrowed from bishulakum. Bishulakum, the din is that go davar shenechal shukuchai, any item that's eaten when it's raw, ain't bo mishum bishulakum, no din of bishulakum. The Radvaz at least argues that it maybe should only be an Easter de Rabbanan. The Mishnah seems to say that it would be Muta the Gamre. Now, obviously, we're talking about here, this is a halachic gedder. The case is clear that you're cooking. The apple changes from when it's raw into a cooked apple. Definitely has changed. Maybe it's Malachet Machshevet, because whoever's cooking it, there's certain people who only eat their apples cooked. They're a little more picky. They only like their apples cooked, or it's a bigger delicacy if it's a cooked apple. There are definitely... Sadim to the other side. The Red Baz argues, based on the Rashba and those that believe that Machal ben Drusai, cooking meat to the point of Machal Drusai makes it cooked for Shabbat. After that, if you cook, according to those we show name, there is no more cooking. Obviously, the Rambam disagrees. The Rift, they say, has to be in Bushal Kotzorchok. But according to the Rishonim, who believe that Machal ben Drusai is sufficient to be called cooked meat, it's clear that after that, you are cooking the meat. Majority of people would not eat the meat when it's at Machal ben Drusai. 
Nevertheless, from a lochic standpoint, that's the end of cooking. And so the advice argues that should be kavachomer here. If you eat the apple in that way, true. If you cooked it afterwards, it might be cooking, it might be improving it. But, migeder alocha, that's not called bishol bishabat. Mishnah Bura, when he quotes alocha, says that it's considered to be bishol legamre. Perot chayin, rob perot that you cook, it's considered to be bishol. The Birka Yosef brings it down as a suffix. He doesn't know, it's a machloket. He brings down the machloket of Rishonim. He says it's a suffix. Just mentioning it, because it's very interesting, alochic dilemma. But Tosafot raises it here, not even in a straightforward way. Just having some mention, if you throw in the apples to that mana, then you can't cover it anymore because you're cooking the apples. But he doesn't really discuss the fundamental issue of what is interesting about apples. Do apples, can you really cook apples? And if you can cook apples, what's considered to be the cooked apple? Right, so not here in Shabbat, but in Hilchot Brachot, Mara tells us that whatever is the primary way to eat an object, that will determine its bracha. Objects or vegetables that were eaten raw, the bracha would be bari priyadama. So not normally eaten raw, they would be shahakol neyabit varo. So in the time of the Gemara, there was almost none of these vegetables were eaten raw. The bracha was shahakol. Clear that the Shukhanar of the Mishra clearly indicate that there's a change in that dimension. We eat a lot more vegetables raw. Carrots, cucumbers, items that they only cooked, we eat raw. So there is a change in our view of these objects because now we make a bari piradama even when they're raw. So there has been a change in the way that we view foods, and it may be true here with apples as well, that they didn't eat apples raw, they only ate them cooked. It could have been because of the strained apple, it could have just been the way that their diet was. But today we do eat apples raw, and that's true. It might even have impacted the din in terms of what's considered to be cooking. But just I wanted to note that there is this makhloka at Rishonim about apples or about the ability to cook apples. Right here, now back to the Gemara, Memchet and Aleph. Rabu v'Rabzeira, Iklu l'Bei Reish Galuta. They went to visit, they were being hosted by the Reish Galuta. Chazu al-Hawa Abdo. They saw one of the servants, Da'ana Kuza Demaya Apuma Dekumkuma. He put a pitcher of water on top of the mouth of the urn. The Mecham, the thing that was heating up the water. And the pitcher is full of cold water. So he's going to heat up the water. Nazir Rabo. Rabo chastised him. He said, you can't do that. I'm going to say, said to him, Something that we're going to bump into. Which is, what's the difference here between putting a pot on top of a pot? We're going to say later on that Mecham Al-Gabi Mecham is Mutar. Even on Shabbat to be Machzir there. We're going to have a Mecham Al-Gabi Mecham. Why over here is this any different? Samurai, Hotam Akume Kamukim. Over there, he's just maintaining the status quo. Hacha oludei kamolid. Over here, he is beginning the cooking process. He is now heating it. Tosafodes, right away, I don't understand the case here. What is going on? What's the heat level of the two pots? When you have a mecham, agave mecham, what's the heating? If it's yadzoletitbo, if it's a level of yadzoletitbo, then why is it any different than putting it into the mouth of the kumkum? If it's not Yad Soledipo, and it's just to, you know, heat up the water to the point, the mafshir, to warm it up, then again, what's the issue at all with placing it over here? Tosu is trying to discover what exactly the issue is here between what we saw with Mecham Agave Mecham versus what's happening over here. Tosavot says something, and it's an important point, because Rashi disagreed earlier on. If you remember, earlier on, we had, in the Gemara, a person has the ability to take a liquid, shaman or water, and to heat it up, as long as it doesn't reach Yad Soledetbo. Rashi over there says, you can put it on the fire, anywhere it is, that it get heated up, you just have to remove it before it reaches Yad Soledetbo. 
the big Kiddush in Rashi, Rashi believes that we allow you or give you the ability to remove it. You can put it in a place where it could reach Yatsaletipo, but then you just have to remove it before it hits that threshold. So Safot over here disagrees with that position of Rashi, and he says, Venir l'Rashba, Da'ad d'Sharim l'Tei Kaiton Shomayim K'neged HaMadurah, and you're allowed to put a pitcher of water next to the fire. Has to be in a point where it can never reach Yadzaletipo. If it's closer, even though you're going to remove it before it reaches Yadzaletipo, that is not permissible. Because maybe you're going to forget it, leave it there. Tosavot takes a fundamentally different approach. Rashi says you can put liquids there, heat them up, as long as you pull it before it hits Yad Soledipo. Tosavot says you can't put it in a position where it will reach Yad Soledipo. You can only put it in a position on the blech where you cannot reach Yad Soledipo. We don't trust you to take it off. We don't rely on you to take it off before it reaches Yad Soledipo. So then that explains what's transpiring over here. When we permit Mecham al-Gabi Mecham, that's only true if it can't reach Yad Soledipo. If the water is not cooked, if it's not in a position where it's cooked, then the only way we're going to let you do that is to warm it to the point where it's not Yad Soledipo. On the other hand, putting it on top of the kumkum, the pitcher on top of the kumkum is going to reach Yad Soledipo. And that's the distinction that he claims is being drawn here in the Gemara, is the placement of the object in a position where it can reach Yad Soledipo. Again, different than the way Rashi read the Gemara earlier, but that's the way Tosavad reads it in order to understand why, or what's happening here. What's the difference in the case of Mecham al-Gavi Mecham versus the case of placing the pitcher on top of the kumkum. Hadar Chazio, the paras distudar apume dekuba. Then he saw him also place a turban on top of, or on the mouth of the kuba, which is the barrel. Va'anach natla iluye. Then on top of that, he places a natla. Natla is equivalent today like our washing cup. He places on top of that Turban. Nazier Rabba. Again, Rabba chastised the servant for doing this. What's wrong? So Amrlei, Rabba says, Just hang around. You'll see what goes wrong. So He saw that the servant was then squeezing out, wringing out the turban from the water that had gotten inside of it. So they had this turban that was placed on top of the barrel, on top of what was there. He left a natla, which is a smaller cup, Basically, it's the equivalent of a ladle to take the items out. You have the kankan itself, which is a large barrel. You want to scoop out, say, wine or whatever's inside of it. So you have a natla, which is a smaller cup that you dip in there to take out whatever's in the barrel. So he put this turban across and left the cup on top. What happens? That whatever was in the cup or was water or it was washed out, that drips into the turban. And now the turban has liquid in it. So he went and wrung the turban out to get rid of whatever had fallen into the turban. Then the question he says is, Amalei, Maishna, Mipromka. Why is this different than a rag? Because we know that Rava says later on in the Mesechta that you're allowed to put a bronka on top of the barrel. Over there he says you put it on top of the barrel as long as you don't cover the whole barrel. But he says you can put it on top without any problem. We don't worry about you wringing it out. We don't worry about schita there. So why not? Rabbi answers Rabbi Zeira that there's a difference. It's a really a difference in the way that you interact with this item. A turban, you're machpid that it doesn't get wet, that it doesn't get dirty. So therefore, if something happens to it, what is he going to do? He's going to wring it out. We're worried about schochet or schita in that case because that's not the natural state of the item. On the other hand, when you use a rag... 
the assumption is that the rag is going to get wet or it's going to get dirty. And therefore, we don't expect him to wring it out because he's not worried about the condition of the rag. So what you use is important because that will determine how you interact with that item. It's below the tevin. Back to our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says you can't do hatmano with tevin. He used muchin. Muchin, as Rashi defines in the Mishnah, things that are soft. The primary example that he gives is cotton. To using cotton, what is the din? Can you then carry them on Shabbat? Do they have a din of muksa or not? For instance, or let's think about this outside the context of Atmana. If you were not matmin with this cotton, the cotton would be muksa. And it would be a sur to take them because, as Rashi says, muksin hang the malacha, basur the taltalan. Because there's no other purpose for the cotton because what are you going to do with the cotton? You're going to make a baggage. You make something out of the cotton. Anything that you're going to do with this cotton is going to be melechati sur. And therefore, it's muksa on Shabbat because there's no purpose to the cotton on Shabbat. It's raw materials for making something later on. And that making something is not relevant on Shabbat. So outside of the context of Atmono, clear that the Mukhin are Muksa. The question is now, since you've now corralled them into being used for Atmono, have you changed the status? Have you now made them that within that context of using them of Atmono, now they are Mutar the Tautel? Just because this guy is short on straw, he goes ahead and he's willy-nilly, let's go of all of his cotton. He should have done Atmono with straw. He didn't have straw, so he used cotton instead. Just because he uses the cotton for Atmana, does that mean that he doesn't care about the cotton anymore? That he's just going to let it go? No, he's using the cotton temporarily as his material for the Atmana. But as soon as he finishes with it, he's going to go back to using it for his raw materials, for his baguette. As Rashi says, that it's Dameha Yikarim. This stuff is expensive. He's not just going to use it for Atmana. He's not going to leave it there. He hasn't permanently designated it as being for Hatmana, and therefore it retains its status as being something that's muksa. From Rashi, it sounds like it's muksa machmat kisaron kis, something that you would not use other than for its primary purpose because it's expensive. Although it's interesting over here because he is using it for something else, right? And he is, you know, corralling it to be used for Hatmana, but at least. A person is just not going to leave it there. He's going to afterwards collect the cotton and then put it back as being a raw material for his bigadim. Salema Messiah. Let's say that we have something that helps Abayah's position. That Tomnim Mukhin. One can do Hatmana with Gizet Semer, which are bowls of wool. It's after they stretched it out and they pulled it out. So they make it into some sort of mat-looking form, the wool. So that's the next step. is one step past that, which is that they made it purple, they dyed it, and they combed it out into longer strings before they're going to use it to weave with. So all of these items you can use for Atmana, and also the cotton, these soft objects that we're discussing. And you're not allowed to carry them. Sounds like from this, that these items you're allowed to utilize for Atmana, but their utilization for Hatmana doesn't necessarily permit you to carry them around. It does not remove their shame muksa. They're still muksa afterwards. says, If that's your proof to Abaye, don't worry about it. I'll explain you that quote. Just add in a little phrase there. The Ein Metaltalinotan is not modifying when you use them for Hatmana. It's telling him if you don't use them for Hatmana, 
that they are mukse when they are not used for atmana. What's that chiddush? Of course they're mukse. What's the, why wouldn't they be mukse if you don't use them for atmana? You're not using them for something that is mutar and shabbat. So why shouldn't they be mukse? That they were uyin to use them for sitting on. They're a nice soft cushion. You could sit on them. And therefore, maybe they shouldn't be mukse. Right? There comes a teacher. Yes, they are mukse. From there, we don't have a proof to Abayi's position. Abayi is indicating that once you use them for Hatmana, they still don't lose their shame. Muksa. We bring a Brita that seems to say exactly that. When it says, you don't have to read the Brita that way. Brita could mean, when you use them for Hatmana, they're fine. When you don't use them for Hatmana, they're Muksa. What's the Chiddush? The Chiddush is that maybe you thought you could use them for sitting on, and there might be some Mutter, Tashmish, and Shabbat. The answer is, Kamashmon, that that's not their primary purpose, and they are Muksa on Shabbat. It's true, but it's not enough of a primary usage to change that. I mean, that. You would have thought that since they have this alternative to them, they're not automatically muksa. What we're trying to think is what's a person's mindset relative to this object going into Shabbat. Does a person think that this is in his world of Shabbat or doesn't think in his world of Shabbat? So if you give me a far-fetched case where maybe somebody will sit on them, does that really bring them into his mind that coming into Shabbat they're considered to be mukhan? Well, his answer is no. That that's not something within his world. That's not his normal interaction or relationship with such an item. And therefore, when he comes into Shabbat, the normal way to react with these items is to put them outside the world of Shabbat. And you should know that's the question every time you come to Muksa. That's the question that you have to ask is, what is the person's mindset coming into Shabbat? Certain items by default are Muksa. You have to actively bring them into your world on Shabbat. Certain items are the default within your world. Food items that are edible are clearly not muksa automatically because they're normally within your worldview. You'd have to be mikatsalim in adat. You have to do something that pushes them out of that worldview. Other items, like we talked about, the wood for the fire, rocks, pebbles, that are outside of your world on Shabbat. By default, they're muksa unless you bring them into your world. But anytime you talk about muksa, that's what you have to think of. You have to think about what is a person's normal frame of mind looking at such an object or interacting with such an object. That's what the Gemara is discussing over here. What's a person's frame of mind with regards to these materials? Chista sharala dure udra the besaje b'shabto. Chista permitted one to return the feathers, the stuffing of the pillow, back into the pillow on Shabbat. So Rav Chanan Barchista asked Rav Chista, Matirin beta tzavar b'shabat, avalo potchim. So number one is, you're allowed to open up the collar on Shabbat, but you can't create the collar on Shabbat. So for instance, when they used to either launder them, or when they used to make them, they used to tie the collar down. And so in order to put your head into it, you need to open up the collar. That's permitted to be to do, because you're not doing anything that wasn't there beforehand. The collar existed beforehand. You're just equivalent of opening up the button to allow you to put your head in. On the other hand, if you have a clothing or a piece of cloth that doesn't have a hole in it, so you can't insert your head into it, to make that hole for the collar to allow one to insert their head, that you cannot do on Shabbat. And one may not place the stuffing, the feathers, back into the pillows or the mattresses on Yom Tov. And certainly not on Shabbat. Sounds like you cannot return the stuffing to the pillows and the mattresses. And yet, we just had a statement from Rav Chista that says it's totally permissible on Shabbat. Where it says, Depends if it's new or if it's old. We have a brighter that supports that differential. 
person may not put the stuffing, the feathers, into the pillows, the mattresses on Yom Tov. If they were released, meaning that they opened up and some of it spilled out, you're allowed to return them on Shabbat. It's certainly on Yom Tov, then you can't do it. So the difference here is between, in the first place, placing it in there, versus returning it to there afterwards. Rashi says, You're creating a plea then. You're making something. You are engineering a pillow, a mattress on Shabbat or on Yom Tov, and that's not permissible to make a mono, to make a plea. Once they're already a plea, then to return the stuffing to them, you're not changing its status. You're maintaining the status quo. And... These items are not muksa because they're in your world. Like we said before, the possibility to sit on them would be mutar. Over here, where you've already designated them to be a pillow or a mattress, it's clear that in your mindset or mind frame that these items are mutar on Shabbat. You plan to use them for those purposes that are mutar on Shabbat. And therefore, they're not muksa, and you can return them to the pillow or to the mattress. Now the Gemara goes back to discuss this issue of opening up the collar. I'm review the Marav. Someone opens up a collar on Shabbat is chayav achatat for opening up, for cutting in a collar. Rashi claims, the hashta Rashi says, because now you're making it into a kli. Chayav mishum makebe patish. Fainu gemar melacha. Yichayi for matebe patish because you are finishing off the begit. You are now putting in the collar which will now make it functional and useful for you to put your head through it. So you're doing something that you have here, you've weaved or you've created or stitched. This huge piece of cloth, and now you want to make it be, or give you the ability to put your head into it, so you need to cut out a beta tzavar, cut out a collar. So that will be considered to be makabutish according to Rashi. Other Rishonim discuss the possibility that the problem here is simply korea, tearing. Tearing on Shabbat is a melacha. We're going to get to that in the Mishnah, the Mishnah in the seventh parak, which says there that ripping is considered to be a form of melacha. But it's only a korea, amanat, litfor. That's to be constructive tearing. Cannot be tearing for a destructive purpose, but it has to be constructive tearing. Where you're going to tear it in order to stitch it up. You're doing something that's constructive with the tearing. That seems to be what's happening over here. That the tearing is done in a constructive manner. So some of the Rishonim believe that the problem here is a problem of Korea. Not a problem of Makep Padish. Again, it depends on your view of Korea. The Rishonim have different views of when these types of items are considered to be a Malachar or not. So you have to look in general about these malachot that are, in general, destructive malachot. If you do them in a constructive manner, does that make it automatically that it's a malachot? The Vishonim here are discussing that issue. Ma'atikifla Rav Ka'ano. Ka'ano asked, is that really true? Ma'atikifla Rav Ka'ano. What's the difference between this and the cover of a barrel? Rashi claims this is a Mishnah later on in the Masechta. It's a very, very important Mishnah. We won't get into it today. But this is, a Mishnah is the fundamentals about opening up bottles, cans, and everything on Shabbat. That's what that Mishnah is addressing, and that's where all the shitot and all the differences and opinions about what you can do on Shabbat derive from this Mishnah. That Mishnah says two things over there. The Mishnah begins and says, Adam chavit, the person can bring a barrel, and he can slice off the top of the barrel with a sword, and then place it before the guests. Over there, where he slices off the top, He's not doing a clean slice. You know, he's not taking it off carefully with the top of the barrel. He slices off the top completely. And he opens it up and presents it to the people that are there. So that is the source for opening up items on Shabbat, food items, in order to be able to eat them on Shabbat. The Mishnah then continues and says, one may not drill a hole into the Megufata Chavit. One cannot put a hole into the seal that is around the top of the barrel in order to create an opening to pour the food out of it. 
Rashi claims that the questions from the first half of the Mishnah. How come over there you can slice off the top, open it up without any problem? And over here you can't open up the Beit Tzavar. What's the difference between opening up the, to cutting up the, in the top of the barrel and cutting open a hole to put your head into in the Beit Tzavar? He says that's the challenge. And then Amr Le'Rova, Zechibor Vzeinu Chibor. Difference between when being attached and not being attached, Rashi says. You look at a beged, a beged, wherever you're going to put that collar, before you put the collar there, it's all one entity. Everything's connected. There's no separation between the entities there. It's one woven beged, it's one stitched beged, and you could put the collar anywhere. I mean, technically, you could put it anywhere because they all look the same. The whole area looks the same. Where you choose to put the collar is a matter of convenience or a matter of utility. On the other hand, by a barrel, a barrel, when you talk about the top of a barrel... There's a barrel, and then you seal the cover onto the barrel. The cover is separate from the barrel itself. And being separate from the barrel itself, it's not considered to be a keyboard. Even though it's sealed onto it, nevertheless, it's not considered to be one entity. And if it's not one entity, that's why you can open it, as opposed to the beta tzavar. So going to Rashi, that's the difference. Tosafot challenges that, and it's clear from the Mishnah there, I'm not sure how Rashi is going to address this, that when he says you cut open the megufat chavit there, it's not along the lines of the cover. You cut it open, it sounds like there that you're mekalkel, as Rashi says. Rashi himself says it on the Mishnah there, that it's a mekalkel on Shabbat. Mekalkel is patur of alasur, if you do something destructive. But if it's a shame ochel, if it's for food, the chachamim made a dispensation that it's allowed. But what's mekalkel? Mekalkel is not simply opening up the top of the barrel, slicing off. It means cutting it to the point where you're cutting it on top of the barrel itself. And therefore, Tosafot says the question comes from... The second part of that Mishnah, the part where you drill a hole into the top. The difference being is that the seal that you drill the hole into to allow the ochel to come out to is not a part of the chavit. It's separate from the chavit. Whereas here, when you're putting, like you're saying, a new hole, you're cutting open something totally new into the beggar itself. So therefore, over there, it says that it's only osur midrabanan to do that. They put the hole in there, and over here it's Asur Midoraita, Yechayiv Chatat. The question is, why is there a difference? How come here it's Doraita, and over there it's the Rabbanon? The answer being that it's a difference in what you're entering into. Drilling into there, whether it's the cover itself or the sealant around it, there it's separate from the Chavit. That's why you only Isur the Rabbanon. Well, here you have an Isur Doraita because the hole that you're creating is in the Beged itself. So now Rami laid Rabbi Yermi, other Rabbi Zero. Rabbi Yermi has said to Rabbi Zero, I have a stira here between two Tanaic works. And I want you to help me reconcile it. It's not. If a Mishnah in Uksin, it says, Shalal shal kufsim, vishal shalet shal maftechot, a beget shu tafur bikilayim, chibur atir. All of these items are considered to be connected for the din of tumah. Shalal shal kufsim is the wanderer, used to tie a string through a number of bigadim to keep them together. Right, the equivalent today of what they do to put a tag on your item when you take it to the dry cleaner or how they identify your clothing, but here they used to string a whole bunch of clothing together. Or, we're talking about a shulshelet shomaftechot, a ring of keys. That joins them together to make them into a single item for tumah. That means if some tumah touches one of the items, they all become tumah. Even though, had they been separate, if you touched one piece of clothing, and it was touching another piece of clothing, the second piece of clothing would have no, it would have no bearing on it. Because tumah from, doesn't move from keli to keli. It only moves from an ava tumah to a rishon to tumah and a keli, and that's it. So the Rishon of Tumah will not pass Tumah to another Kali. But here, since they're attached, they're considered to be one item. Touch one piece of the clothing, it affects all the clothing at once. Until you begin to undo them. You have to take an action to undo the connection between them. You don't have to actually get them apart. As long as you begin to take them apart, that's sufficient 
to remove this attachment. Alma, from this you would conclude, that even when the kovase, the launderer, is not laundering, they're still considered to be one item until you release them. Until they're released, they're considered to be one item, whether he's doing the work, laundering or not laundering, they're considered to be one item. Firminu. But now I have another Tanaic work from the Mishnah Kili, Makel, Shesayad the Kardum. Picks up a branch, a stick, a twig off the ground, and he makes it as a handle for the Kardum, for the hoe. He basically, you know, the wooden part of the hoe, the rake that you insert into the metallic part below. So he doesn't have the perfect handle. He sees a twig, some put it some wood on the ground, he says, look, I can use that for my handle now. He takes it out, puts it into the metal, and begins to use it. It's only considered a when you are utilizing it for whatever purpose it is. It's only true when you're working with it, when you're hoeing, when you're doing some sort of activity with it, then it's considered to be a chibur. As soon as you stop doing your activity, then it's not considered to be a chibur. So the stira between these two mishnayot is simple. In one case... We have something that is considered to be temporary in nature. Both of them are considered to be temporary in nature. And in one of them, it remains attached, despite the fact that you're not utilizing it for the purpose that it was set out. For instance, the stringing of the clothing to launder it. Even when you're not laundering, it's still considered to be connected. On the other hand, when you make something into a handle, it's only considered to be a handle while you're utilizing it. If you're not utilizing it, it's not a handle. That was the question posed by your Yirmiyah to Rabbi Zero. And Rabbi Zeir responds, Difference is how one interacts with this item. When you finish using your handle for your hoe, what do you do with it? It says you throw it out. You throw it with the rest of the wood. It's not something that you keep. It's not something that you retain in this position. As soon as you finish using it, you throw it out. You toss it back to where you found it. Even when you're not using it for the purpose, laundering. Because if they get dirty again, the launderer can then launder them easily once again. So here he has customers that bring him the laundry. So then he does the laundry and then he's hanging them out. What happens if they fall off the line? Something happens and they get dirty again. So he's not going to want to have to string them all up again. If they're already pre-strung, he can go back quickly and launder them. So he's not going to undo the string until he's really finished, until he gives them back. So to retain them in that state is beneficial to him, and that's what he wants. He says the difference is in the way that you interact with these items. Again, even though both of them are done for a specific purpose, after that purpose is done, is there value to you? So in the case of the handle, it sounds like, no, you toss this. It's an object that is considered to be, quote-unquote, disposable. It's not something that you would retain in this situation, and therefore, as soon as you finish using it or utilizing it, it's done. Whereas in the other case, the stringing of the item is something that is beneficial, even outside the context of its primary purpose, and therefore you want it to remain that way, and it's not considered to be, again, disposable or removable until you do remove it. And that's the difference in the conclusion of these two Mishnayot. As Rashi points out here, Tosafot seconds it, that the answer and the question revolve around Shalal Shal Kovsim. Only revolves around that one issue. The Begit Shal Kil Ayim, there, what you do is you're stitching them together. We know you're going to take them apart eventually because it's Kilayim. So you can't wear it that way. But until that point in time, you stitch the extra piece together to keep it there or to store it that way. So as long as it's stitched together, we know that you want it to be together in order to keep it. You didn't want to lose this piece of material. Stitched a semer baggage with another semer baggage and you used a string of pishtan. Obviously, it's not a permanent. You're not going to leave it there permanently. 
But as long as it's there, you're happy because you want to keep the two items together. So they were less worried about it, and I don't think the stira that he asks revolves around that. Because there, there's no issue of malacha. Malacha is where you're utilizing it for a very specific purpose, like by the shlal shal kofsim versus the handle of the rake. So I don't think the question was posed about that, and I don't think the answer relates to that either. Because that's a very, very, it's a different type of problem. It's not an issue of a craftsman doing his craft or working. Right, so now the Gemara continues. In Surah, the upcoming statement, they said in the name of Chista. And they said in the name of Ghana. Some say in the name of Rabba. Who's the author of this position? Anything that's attached to it has the same din as it. I'm Rabbi Yehud, I'm Rav, Rabbi Meir, he. it's Rabbi Meir. Titznan, how do we know this? Titznan, we have a Mishnah in Kelim. Beta pach, ubeta tavlin, ubeta ner shebikira. So if you have a stove top, like we've been talking about, stove that is shaped where it's wider at the bottom, narrows at the top, has a place to put the pot on top, it's heated from the inside, but along with the fact that it has a space on the top for placing a pot, on the sides, it has what I would call pockets. It has like a cup holder, the equivalent of what you would look like a cup holder, on the side for the placement of other items. So these other items, for instance, beta pach, which is where you put oil to heat it up or to warm it up, beta ner placement where you could put a candle, or whether it's to melt something for a candle, and the place where you have the spices that are ready for the pot. But whatever they are, they are these cup holders or sidebars to the kira that are receptacles on the side. What is the status of those receptacles in relationship to the stove or the oven itself? Rabbi Meir says that they have tumat maga, but they do not have tumat avir. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Shimon mitaher. Shimon says they're tahor the gamre. Rabbi Shimon, I understand Rabbi Shimon's position. They are not like the stove itself. They are considered to be totally separate kelim, and be assumed as separate kelim. Therefore, if Tumah touches the kira, these areas remain tahor. If Tumah comes into the airspace of the kira, it's made of klicheres. Klicheres can be mekabel Tumah, even its airspace. Tumah comes into the airspace, they're not impacted. And the same is true the other way around. If Tumah touches those areas, or it comes into that airspace, they will be tameh and not the kira. They're considered to be totally separate utensils. So I understand the position of Rabbi Shimon. What I don't understand is the position of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir, make up your mind. If they're considered to be one with the kira, it should also be tamay in their airspace. Why is it that Rabbi Meir says, if Tuma touches the kira, then these areas also become tamay? Why isn't it, doesn't he also say, if Tuma comes into the airspace of the kira, they're also impacted. That's the way that Klicharis accept Tuma. So why is there a differential between them? If they're also not like the stovetop, meaning that they're considered to be separate, because he says when Tuma comes into the avir of the kira, it doesn't impact these receptacles, then even by contact, when the Tuma touches the kira, it should also not impact them. You have to be consistent. You're inconsistent in your din here. Are they a part of it or are they not a part of it? And once you decide that it is, be consistent in the din. If it is a part, then both Tumat Maga and Avir should affect them. If they're not, then neither Tumat Maga or Tumat Avir should affect them. Marseilles, Lolam, Lav, Kikira Domo. Truthfully, they have nothing to do with the Kira. They're considered to be separate receptacles. For Rabbanan, the Gazra Boho, it's Gzerad Rabbanan. 
Where it says, Igazubu Rabbanan, then Afilu Bavir Namilitamu. If they make it a din der Rabbanan, that we consider them to be one, even though they're not one, why don't we say that when Ruman comes into the Avir Klicher, it also affects them? Avdubu Rabbanan Hekera, Menehekir Geecha Dolo Atad Misrifalei Chuman Bekodoshim. Because when Chuman Kodoshim become Tmeim, what do you do with Chuman Kodoshim that are Tmei? You burn them. But that's only true when they're Tamei Mida Oraita Mina Torah. Because now, if they're Tamei Mida Torah, then they're Ruim Lisrefa, and you burn them. If they're only Tamei Mida Rabbanan, that means Mina Torah, they're really Torim. If they're Torim, you're not allowed to burn Truma and Kodashim that are Torim, Mina Torah. So if they only become Tamei Mida Rabbanan, then you have to wait. It's called Talui. You wait until either they rot, or they come into a full forest of Tumah, and then you can burn them, or then you can get rid of them. So how do I know or differentiate between something that's Tamei De Rabbanon and something that's Tamei De Oraita? So we've seen this before, that the Rabbanon differentiated by making the Alochos not exactly like it would be in Minat Torah. Minat Torah, if they're considered to be one utensil, considered to be a single item, then Tumah would affect them both if it came into contact with the Gira or when it went into the airspace of the Gira. So the Rabbanon said, we're going to make them into one receptacle. We have this Gzera De Rabbanon. But in order that people be sure, understand that this is only Tumah De Rabbanon, we're going to only say when it... Tuma comes into contact with the Kira, they Tameim. But if Tuma comes into the airspace of the Kira, they will not be impacted. And that's how the person will know that there is only Tuma de Rabbanan here, not Tuma de Oraito. Okay, Tan Rabbanan. Misporet Shel Prakim. Scissors that are made up of two blades, which that's the normal way, that's normally how scissors are made, out of two blades, but they are blades, Shel Prakim, meaning that they come apart. It says they used to put the blades together to make them into scissors, but they were detachable. The Ismail Shel Rehitni and the Razor that goes into a plane. If you know a carpenter's plane, it's a blade that sits. You have the wooden item that he uses to push the blade along. But then there's a blade at the bottom which allows him to run it along and to plane the boards. So that is this, he's almost this razor that is also a removable part. Put in, taken out. Chibor the Tumah. They're considered to be a chibor with the garbe Tumah. Ve'en chibor the Hazaah. But they're not considered to be attached to Hazaah. It says again, Monafshach. Tell me, you got to be consistent. If they're considered to be one item, then even for Hazah. When we're talking about Hazah here, this is Hazat Mechatat. This is to make them tahor. Sprinkling of the Paraduma onto the item to make them tahor. So, do you have to separate the items out and sprinkle on each one independently? Or, when they're attached, can you sprinkle on them? So here, what we're suggesting over here in the Tosefta of Kelim is that for Tumah, if they're together, if you touch one blade, the other blade's automatically Tameh. If you touch the Razor, then the plane is also Tameh. But, if you want to come to be Metair, then you have to separate them. To break them apart, and sprinkle on each blade separately. Separate on the blade and the plane separately. So, Gemara says it's inconsistent. Well, are they one, or are they not one? you got to be, it's either one or the other. So, Afila Zanami, Ilav Chibur, if they're not considered to be one, Afila Zubanami Lo. So, Amarova, Dvar Torah, Bishat Melacha Chibur, says when you're utilizing them, when they're being used, then they are Chibur, Ben Letumah, Ben Lazah. Then, whether... It's to accept Tumah, or whether it's to accept the Tara from the Hazah, then they're considered to be one item. Shalom b'shat melacha, when that being utilized, when they're not in their functional state, enu chibor lolu Tumah lolu Hazah. Then they're not considered to be a chibor, whether it's for Tumah Hazah. So then how do we get to the din that we have in the Tosefta? Because Rabbanan al Tumah, shalom b'shat melacha, b'shom Tumah shi b'shat melacha. The Rabbanan would go there on Tumah, not at the time of melacha, because of Tumah b'shat melacha. Basically, they went to Chumrah on both Tadim, which is that in one instance it is Tamei, one instance it's not Tamei. When is it Tamei? When is it considered Bechibor? When they're together. 
So what are we worried about? We're worried about when they're together, you're not going to realize that they are considered one. So even when they're separate, or even when it's not Shad Malacha, we're going to say that they give a Mechabal Tumah, because when they are together, they are Mechabal Tumah, and Hazad the other way around. When they're not Shad Malacha, the Hazad doesn't work. So we're not going to let you do the Hazad when they are together, Shad Malacha, because we're afraid that you might do it even when they, it's not Shad Malacha. So we took the Shnei the Lechumra in order to prevent there being a problem. We made it Tamei all the time, and made Hazad not work all the time, and again, the halacha we know is consistent. The underlying halacha midaraita is consistent, which is shat malacha they're considered to be a chibur. Shlom shat malacha they're not considered to be a chibur. Tosafot over here says what happened to all the other cases before the chibur that we talked about before. For instance, shlal shulkovsim when you string up the clothing is that considered to be a chibur just for tumah or is that also a chibur for hazah? What's the din over there? And with the second case we had over here, what we had with the stovetop, there you don't have to ask the question because it's a klicheres. Klicheres doesn't have any hazah. So the only question is whether it's a chibur for tumah, there's no chibur for tahara. You can't be metahera klicheres. The only way to be metahera klicheres is to break it. There, there's no question. But how do you deal with shlal shokovsim? So Tosro comes up with a principle. He says, there to read, the shlal shokovsim vaday lo evi chibur elamid rabanan. Afilo bishat melacha shenim tzrichim zelazeh. Even at the time that you're doing the work, they're not considered to be one entity because you don't have to have them that way. That's not their natural state. The Brigadim are clearly independent entities and you're stringing them together for specifically for this purpose. And in doing that, you are not creating a chibor midoraita. So the chibor here is only midorabanan, and therefore, the tumah is all dorabanan, and hazah will never work. Hazah will never work. Whether bishah melacha, shlo bishah melacha, hazah is not relevant, because there really no chibor over here. The chibor is all a din dorabanan, because that is not their natural state. On the other hand, aval misporet shel prakim, shitolei bishah melacha v'chibor dvar Torah. Because the point of having two blades is together, they work together. They need each other. And that is why they're considered to be a chibor. So that's the difference. You have to look, whenever something's attached, you have to look at what is the natural state of that item. If the natural state of the item is to be attached, then it will be a chibor if that's in its functional state. Whereas, if the chibur is simply a matter of convenience, then that will only be a chibur midir abanan. I just want to finish up to the Mishnah, only because tomorrow is a long daf, and it's a very fast Gemara. Our Mishnah says, The second list of items there, only when they are moist are they considered to be problematic, when they are dry, they're not. The question is, that moisture, is that the natural moisture of the item? Or is that a exogenous moisture that came in here? It's a moisture that was added to them. So Tashma, Loba Tevin, Veloba Zagim, Veloba Muchim, Veloba Asavim, Zman Shem Lachim. So we're talking about here, straw, Zagim are grape peels, Muchim, we said before, soft items, cotton, Veloba Asavim, and herbage. Zman Shem Lachim. Iyamar Pishlom Alachim Achmat Tavarachir, Shapir, I understand it. Iyamar Lachim Achmat Atzman, Muchim, Lachim Achmat Atzman, Echim Ishkachala. Cotton, soft items, wool, they don't have natural moisture to them. So how could it be that you're talking about their own moisture? When I says, Me Marta de Beni Atme. We're talking about the wool that is removed from between the legs of the animal, where there's a lot of sweat, there's a lot of heat, or whether it's around their reproductive organs, where they naturally get wet. There is a natural moisture to them from the animal. They're called me marta. Marta means to pull away or to rip away, because that, that wool comes away without shearing it. it. Simply is pulled off because of the nature of where it is. But what does this mean? That you can use, you can do a tamana with dry clothing or dry fruit 
something that is moist. Again, how do you have natural moist clothing that doesn't exist? It says again, it was made out of that wool that you took from between the legs that was moist. So you made it out of that. So there's the natural moisture to the clothing. So the Gemara leaves that inconclusive as to whether the moisture is deriving from the object itself, or whether it's deriving from an outside item. All right, we'll stop there.